Hello, welcome to We Don't Talk About The Weather, political discussion from the outside may look like screaming and crying. I'm Adam and this is Hugh. Hello. And we're here to talk news and politics. Yeah. Oi, oi. Week off. Everything's such a mess. It's still hard. Everything's hard. Everything's hard to arrange. Dragging myself over to your flat, which is where we are now, mm-hmm. was a felt like a massive hassle. And I did it literally every week. Well, mm. every week. <laughs> Don't pay attention to the dates on the episodes. Pay attention <laughs> to the number. <laughs> but, um... Yeah, it's been what's happened since the last time recorded. I had like literally the night we recorded or the early morning, um, the creator of Berserk died. That was very sad. Um, that was very sad for me. Mm. And so I watched all of the 97 anime because I didn't want to watch the bad 3D one. <laughs> it's horrible. You should look at it if you haven't seen it before. I've seen I've seen screen grabs. And yeah, because I posted all things like that. Don't, have I posted the sound effect of his big sword that they have? No. Um, in the 3D anime, his giant sword. Now, Guts is famous for his giant, giant sword. It's like the first big, big Huge sword in sword. anime. Um, and it sounds like a frying pan. In the thing, it just goes... <laughs> it's ridiculous. It's so annoying. And it's really aggravating. But, um, yeah, so I read some. I read a load of Berserk. Got sad. Very sad about that man dying. Because now it shouldn't really end. Don't want anyone else to touch it. Leave it be. But yeah, that was like that was announcing our news six-part Netflix series. <laughs> well, there is talk um, of um, Netflix taking over the anime. Yeah, uh, which you know, please no, or it would just be another one starting from the beginning, which they've always done. Um, but the thing that I was interesting is there were talk. There's a lot of discussion about the workload of um, of manga writers because yeah. you know they they write they write it they draw it most of the time. And, write the theme tune, sing the theme tune. Yeah, and like, there's been lots of high profile. Like, he's he was depressed a lot. Like, there's like manga writers have like <laughs> yeah. they usually have like the little bits at the end where they have little comments. Yeah, there's like ones from when he was like 29 saying like, "This is all I've done. I've got nothing in my life." <laughs> it's like really grim. Um, the workload is insane. Like Oda, who does One Piece, has had numerous like collapsings. <laughs> um, and like there were some people like, oh, maybe this will affect how you know the practices, and they'll get better. It's like, yeah, J- Japanese labor practices, yeah, famed throughout the world. Yeah, um, but yeah, that was just a bit grim, maybe a bit sad. But what else happened? Um, that has been fun. your that has been your anime minute for this week. <laughs> yeah, Hughes <laughs> anime corner. Yeah, and I've been still watching eighty six. Still watching eighty six, and that's really good. People should watch eighty six. That's a new anime that I'm really enjoying. <laughs> that's really good though. It's really good and it's really grim, like all the best ones. But um, that and the other... Oh, that's it. Good news happened, though, because Virtual Fighter 5 came out for free. Mm-hmm. So oh, sorry. It's a, an addendum to the anime corner. Yeah. Well, it's nothing to do with anime. No, yeah, you're right. It's a Japanese fighting game. What's that got to do with anime? <laughs> but, um, yeah, and then, and then there was some other stuff. There was, like, Dominic Cummings did something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Because, yeah, when we, were, when we were kind of, like... We are ostensibly talk- a politics podcast. This <laughs> kind of, and all I want to talk about is anime. <laughs> In top ten, but seriously though, top in ten fight fight, there's, weight, there's like there's weight mechanics, and that's really nice in a fighting game. And I'd forgotten how much I enjoyed that. But anyway, so anyway, yeah, um, Dominic Cummings. So he did do a top ten anime betrayals, <laughs> yeah. um, because what did they think would happen when they pissed him off? That of course he's just gonna like do a one man show where he says it, it was everyone else's fault but me. So he was in. He was in front of a select committee, right? Yeah. It was a select committee where he mm-hmm. was asked on the government's handling. This is not the public inquiry that has been promised for 
how the government handled the COVID outbreak. Mm. This is a select committee that just asked him to come along and dish. Mm. <laughs> yeah, they did ask him to dish. Just for a little chat. Yeah. You know, but like the cops, never trust them. <laughs> when they tell you to come in just for a little chat. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and he. Oh, and also, because it's, um, it's not a proper um, inquiry. He was covered by um, parliamentary privilege. Yes. So yeah. he could just lie as well. That is important <laughs> to remember because he is a liar. That with these things you can just go there and talk bullshit. <laughs> I think it's amazing that like he's... Has there ever been... Hmm. Has there ever been a person who's continued their political career, in this case answering stuff in front of a committee, after they've had a major television drama made about them? Because hmm. you think about like the, the thick of it kind of was in the midst of... Towards the end of Blair and all of his doings, that was about Blair and Brown. Oh yeah, that again. That was way after because that was about the deal in um. Oh, what was it? That restaurant where they said he would be Gordon Brown would be Chancellor and Blair would be Prime Minister. Yeah, he'd step down, and he wouldn't stand against him in the '94 leadership election. Mm. '94, I think. Yeah. Mm. But yeah, I don't know. Because like this was like. Oh yeah, Benedict Cumberbatch, smart, smart man, on the smartest man on TV and in politics. He gets yeah. the full Benedict Cumberbatch, and he get it on there, and it's like, oh yeah, no, you're exactly how your blog sounds. <laughs> oh yeah, one hundred percent. It is. It. Well, I I watched the whole thing. Mm. I say I watched it. I had it on in the background, so I was constantly like, going, look at that. Um, and it's always satisfying to hear that. Pretty much every it's like he was just saying everything that we were saying that everyone was saying. Yeah, that all of our hipster analysis was pretty correct. Um, which that's you know that's vindicating in a way, but you know that kind of vindication it tastes kind of sour with so many dead. Yeah, it was it was kind of it was perfect. It felt like a return to politics mm. as normal for mm. the journalist class because yeah. they were kind of bre- obviously breathlessly reporting. All of this, and it's like we di- we didn't know Mac Hancock was fucking things up, and it's like no, literally everyone has been saying that all the time. Yeah, you know, and I mean, I think to a certain extent, maybe his chutzpah comes from the fact that he's been built up so much, Dominic mm. Cummings. Um, so he feels like, well, I've got to kind of guarantee, I've got to kind of like justify this reputation that I have. For, I'm a oh, s- yeah. straight shooter, and a yeah, he's been told he's the hardest one on the bus yeah. going to school for so long now. That obviously he's gonna throw his weight around. Um, it was it's it is funny seeing like what's his name um, Jeremy Hunt because he was running it. Ah. Um, and the the washing of Jeremy Hunt as being like a sensible politician, one that could be trusted, unlike Matt Hancock, and it's like what he was Matt Hancock. He's yes. the, they're the same person. Yeah. As far as like, like the weird um, kind of in person ticks, the inability to kind of. Uh, improvise on the hoof, which like makes all politicians at the moment seem so fucking other than Boris, frankly, mm. seem so fucking alien. And mm-hmm. it's that you oh, no. feel you feel like you feel like the state is like you're given the yeah. impression that the state in their hands is doing the things that a state should do, mm. but you get closer to it and you feel like oh god, oh no, <laughs> you know. Mm. It's like getting too close to a dog turd that's but, turned white. Yeah. Not all politicians are like alienating and weird looking though. Because did you not see that um, Keir Starmer, he cried when talking about the horrible death of his mother. That makes him seem human to me. In his latest, oh, in his latest introduction like, to everyone, like 
what, over a year since he's become leader? It's my most hated... I'm not watching it. It's I my, just, no, I just, I'm not I read a highlight I've got of better it. things to do. Yeah. Um, but Virtual 5 is out, and it's free, everybody. It's free, so you should play it. Was what caused the local election losses the feeling that we didn't know enough about Keir Starmer? Yes, 100%. We should know more about him, and he should go on more people's shows. And I look forward to his daily appearance on GB News. And it's, and it's just my most hated thing as well. It's like, I, I don't want to sound like a kind of inhuman monster, because everyone has a family, and we should find out where those families are, <laughs> because we may need to end up no. Um But it's the, it's the whole thing of, yes, I, I can get emotional. Um, I, I do care about people. Uh, for instance, my family. And it's like... Yeah, of course. Of course you care about your family. Fascists care about their family. Yeah. Yeah. That doesn't that doesn't change what your politics are. That doesn't change the reactions to things you're doing. If your family were anyone else, your policies would be bad for them. Also there's that lovely thing with um especially with those kind of interviews that Kirstaba did of like I'm an emotional person like everybody else. And in three minutes, I will have my allotted emotion time where I will show you my emotion <laughs> and my humanity. And then he shows it, and then he moves on to other things. <laughs> it's just like, oh, God, I can't stand any of them. It's um, Weirdly, I was watching um, Parks and Rec, and I've got an idea for a, maybe a future show, but I'm pretty convinced that Parks and Rec made Trump. Hmm. Because of It's a compelling argument. I can see where you're going with it, because I've watched a fair amount of Parks and Rec, but yeah. I the politics in it is, is baffling. Like, I'm watching it with a fine-tooth comb going through all of their their casual explanations for austerity and their justifications for it and also no suffering from it either but also the adoration of some of the most heinous individuals known to man and these are the kind of the people who did Parks and Rec are the kind of jokey creators who were like the ones who were making most jokes about Trump Hmm. and yeah I I, I could see I could see but that's for another time yeah no, it was just like, I, I don't really pay attention to a great deal of um, like news as it's happening. Mm. Because I can't watch Laura Koonsberg. How mm. am I supposed to, why would you expect me to have to but do you should that? talk to her, you should watch her, because she's the one that Dominic Cummings talks to. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah, that was the other thing, that was the thing that came out. And it's like, you're a fucking idiot. Like, both of you are idiots, right? Because... Mm. You know exactly what's going to happen with this. Mm-hmm. This will be bro- in the wake of the um, Diana thing. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> you know that the closeness of the relation of an unelected advisor, an mm-hmm. unelected spad, with the head of political programming for uh, BBC News is going to be used as a reason to roll up the BBC. <laughs> if they need to. You know, they, yeah. might, they might back off. They might go in. You never know. You f- <laughs> Can you not see? How do you all get outplayed every single time by the dumbest people imaginable? Yeah. And it's just like, I was watching, like, um, like, do you know Twitter talking about it? And, that's, you know, it's fine. It was it was happening at the time. I don't begrudge anyone, like, looking at that. But, like, you see, like, Cummings spinning his lines and all the, all the live blogs on The Guardian and the BBC, like, breathlessly reporting us. What does this mean? It's like, he thinks Hancock's a chump. That's yeah. what it means, you fool. It was brilliant, because he'd bitch about Hancock, and then he'd go into a... He'd start talking about our preparedness for solar flares. <laughs> and you just get... So good. <laughs> you just get into the kind of mindset of those people as, and how gleeful they are, their emotional state, and it's like, now this, this is good politics. Mm-hmm. Finally, after 
five years, good politics. And you just like, you see a future of just like, well, we've got COVID inquiries coming up. We've got presumably BBC inquiries coming up after the Diana thing, mm. maybe. You know, we've got ongoing inquiries, police spies and, and Northern Ireland and Scottish independence. I presume there will be an inquiry if that ever mm. like ramps up. And just this, all this breathless live reporting going on with each, for each day. And you just... You think of some of the, I think back to kind of some of the things that like left wingers were starting to do when they thought they had like a little hmm. a little snifter of power like they would have an in and you think of some of the the schemes that they were were thinking of you know Preston models and all this hmm. kind of thing and you know you look at people glued to this shit and you think of that I was just constantly thinking of that line do you remember that film Troy Hmm. with um, Brad Pitt in it hmm. and like you've got Brendan Gleeson as Menelaus and he's fighting Paris played by Orlando Bloom and he's the one who's stolen Helen of Troy away and they're in a duel and Paris like runs away because he's a big coward and Brendan Gleeson just roars and says is this what you left me for? <laughs> and it's like that's how I feel about that is that you, <laughs> you left stuff that might actually avoid our utter catastrophe for this So this week we wanted to kind of wrap up our look at some of the things that Tories are doing. Hmm. Actually doing, not just talking about. they're doing stuff while coronavirus is happening. Yeah, there's definitely this feeling like that now that everyone has decided we're kind of out hmm. <laughs> of the COVID hmm. era, um, we're getting a chance to see like what, you know, hmm. what they're actually going to do. Hmm. Putting that big hmm. on putting that big old majority to work. Yeah. Um, there's some like straightforward material offers, like they talked about trains Mm-hmm. Um, a few weeks ago, rejigging how trains, not nationalising them. Mm-hmm. Stop saying that, everybody. They're not yeah. nationalising them, but they are. They're gonna, just giving them more money. <laughs> yeah, they are going to rejig uh, trains. They talk about reorganising the NHS again. Mm-hmm. You know, wait until we see, because you know. Mm. Um, and you know stuff like stockpiling nukes, as we've already uh, we've already established in yep. in one of well, our previous them. episodes. Um, but the ones we're going to focus on today are more kind of culture-based mm. um, because uh, if you haven't noticed, we are in the middle of a gigantic culture war mm. which the winner will take everything and everything will be all right slash terrible. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so like one of the things, like Oliver Dowden, who is... Oh, so whenever we do like stuff on Tories, it's mm. quite hard because they're usually equal parts like stupid evil and boring yeah and Oliver Dowden's face is all of that and I've (laughs) seen his face so much recently um but like he did an interview um he did a speech at the Palladium Hmm. um and he was and he's done a lot of talking about war on woke he seems to have like an article every other week he does he does the um um, anyway, so yeah, so he was um, did did a thing at the Palladium where he was talking about you know getting more people back into live events, theatre, all this kind of jazz. Right. But while he's been doing all of these things, like essentially, the one of the main jobs of the culture secretary of you know telling people to do culture things. And throw Does back. the night czar know <laughs> that there's, that she's got competition? <laughs> um, but so there's a couple of things that he's been saying, like 
there was one particular quote which I think is like very telling about his particular aims and his ideas. He said in um, in a different thing, talking to the Policy Exchange um, at their History Matters conference, he oh, said, okay. "Don't allow yourself to be pushed around by the zeitgeist of the day," which is that's tying into his issues with museums and the tearing down of statues. Um, he's threatened museums with reducing their funding if they change exhibits for woke reasons. Um, he's been removing people. The people have been removed from boards who are seen as too left wing, too uh, too, soci- metro, too metropolitan. Yeah, I think is that's the word actually, that they that I they think put that's actually in the there, word yeah. they use. Um, they've been removing a lot of them. I think that's getting them ready for when they bring down the Greg's shopping whippet owning. Farmers that only exist in their imagination to run our museums yeah, in so London. There was a suggestion that he was going to, like, he specifically said, bring people from the Red Wall, from the North. Yeah, where conservatism lives. To, <laughs> apparently, to counter woke culture in museums or something. And it's like, right, okay. A. What? Who? <laughs> yeah. Who? Specific, like, specifically, who? Are yeah. you? Are you? Are you promoting someone just... Is it a lottery? It's going to be... Oh, the guy who owns Sam Smith's. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, but also, like, if you're removing them from their natural soil, don't yeah. they then become part of the metropolitan elite, like a vampire? <laughs> well, if you... Like, I'm sure that the person... A person... Like, who, if they choose them at random, say... Yeah. If you just pick some random person from somewhere like... I don't know the name of a single Red Wall place off the top of my head. The North, say. <laughs> Some random person. And then you put him in you put them moving to London because they probably have to live in London if they're gonna be doing all this work. A northerner in London? <laughs> That'll be a real shock to the system. Yes, can you imagine? But then they they're like they're living in London. My monocle got... popped out into my martini. I was so appalled. <laughs> they have the wages that they would get for being on one of these things. Then surely they change. No, no. Or is it in del- do they bring some of the soil with them? Yeah, that's what I mean. Like, a, like, okay. like Dracula. Oh, so they do. Like Dracula to... came down from Whitby and had to have like all of yeah, his yeah. Uh, all of his uh, native soil yeah. um, pumped into it. Otherwise, he became weaker. Yeah. Presumably, you have to put up some kind of like barrier of soil around yourself, a cocoon, if you will. So, in... to prevent liberal values, it got Emperor, in God Emperor of June. There's a thing called Museum Fremen because by this time in the future, Fremen have died out because the the desert has bloomed. Yeah. They keep one bit of the desert pure. So are they going to have like a little encampment that is going to be pure, pure <laughs> red wall? Isn't that where... that's where God Emperor Leto lives, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. But they could have like a pure red wall area where all of these the boards of major galleries and museums will have to go for a couple of hours a day just to recharge their red wall batteries. <laughs> it's a silly idea, and you know what it's for? It's to give it to people in the Rotary Club who are just who are retired already and are just going to come down and say. Oh, I don't like any of this stuff in the V&A, and just replace it all with I don't know dresses that Princess Anne wore. I think it's a really bold manoeuvre of the culture secretary. Culture, which by definition has to have new things, otherwise it's not a culture. It is a museum. Yeah. To say that museums cannot possibly change. Also, like they by definition have museums to. Museums are always. He's changing speaking their to exhibits. an eternal. He's otherwise saying that there is an eternal truth that this is the thing that is always a thing. But like. Museum exhibits change all the time. There's, you know, rotating exhibits. They don't always have everything out at the same time. Is a museum not allowed to change anything? Like, say, like, um, there's 
like um, at the Imperial War Museum, they've got that World War One faux trench thing that you can go yeah. in that's been there since I was a kid and smells a bit weird. Well, yeah, they pump in the smells, don't yeah. they? Um, Mud and shit. And it looks really old and bad. Yeah. If they updated it, just like, <laughs> would that be an issue? Would they lose funding? <laughs> uh, Michael Gove finally gets his um, finally gets his wish, and they manage to abolish Blackadder, so everything's like really, really shiny. <laughs> yes. Um, but yeah, so there's he's been pushing that stuff. So he's like he's saying you know the the bad things about you know we've got to get rid of these metropolitans who are wokeifying our museums. You can't walk around the... Ru- ruining our culture, by which it is to say we have to ship people from somewhere else to make it their culture. Yes. In his mind, of course. None of this is real, by the way. Yeah. Like, if, if anything I've said, like, sounds like I'm having a pop at the North. <laughs> yeah. I'm absolutely not. It yeah. is fucking nonsense and it fantasy. Is. It's insane. Um, but all built around, also, this idea that the North doesn't have its own class system. Mm-hmm. It's like Australia. You know how everyone goes over to Australia and says, yeah. there's no class here, mate? Yeah. Oh, I've just pissed off the Australians now. <laughs> yeah. um, there's no class here, mate. No. And it's like, no, that's what the North is like. Mm. There's no class structure there. There is no bourgeoisie there. There mm. is no metropolitan elite. Yeah. It's like, you can you've ever been to fucking Durham? There's no you've ever been to fucking Leeds? There's no, there's no class system in, in Australia. There's no... Um, MPs like Bob Catter, who are literally the largest landowner, and as and was the MP, as was his father and his father before him, <laughs> but because they got an accent, they're not. There's no class. Um, but yeah, so while he's been saying like you know we've got to do you know take away funding for people who take down statues, I don't know who you would take like for, for Bristol. Well, who to, are they funding? Yeah. Who 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 loses the money if someone just takes down a if someone just like like it happened in Brist- in Bristol if someone rips down a statue who loses the funding there? I'm pretty sure Roads Must Fall did not have a stipend. <laughs> yeah, um, but while he's been saying that and then changing the construction of the boards of these things, so you know to push the culture of these particular places even more to the right because these places are quite conservative. Well, the thing is, like I've I've. I don't have enough, like, I don't have a proper theory about it. It really is only a feeling. Mm. But, like, my parents always took me to museums. Mm. Love museums. Um, my partner loves going to museums. So I end up going to a lot of museums. Guess what? And I definitely notice a change. Because, like, mm. Labour came in and, and did, to a certain extent, shake up how... Muse- what you were to expect from a museum. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? And they, they kind of millennium domized a lot of them. But well, yeah, there's and that also, good, you know, there's you that basically one down by the Docklands. It's very simple. What you do is you get you come in, you turn a load of things into zones, <laughs> you give something kids can touch, <laughs> uh, some crayons, and you get it all funded by the Welcome Foundation. And that's pretty much that's pretty yeah. much it. Yeah. Um, but I definitely noticed when the Tories got in and if you haven't noticed, the Tories have been in for 10 years now. Mm-hmm. That marks almost that marks Blair's entire uh, tenure mm. as Prime Minister, and they've been in for that long. Um, I've definitely noticed there's a little bit where they've, ta- they've, they've kept the kind of aesthetic of it. So, mm. like, uh, uh, pictures or actors projected onto, like... Um, canvases and telling their stories when you enter a room. Yeah. Interactive interactivity. Mm-hmm. But they have blunted the edge yeah. of the criticism somewhat. Like there's a lot of like prison museums where where, you know, in the Blair era they would have come up and said, I was put into prison for twenty years for stealing a loaf of bread. Yeah. And now it's like 
but I'm a nasty person and violent and I deserve it. You know, like, <laughs> I'm a nasty person and I deserved it. And, they, and before the EU tone came in. <laughs> but I'm, I'm proud. I'm proud of where I'm from. Yeah. But I'm a disgusted scumbag. <laughs> like, that is. Yeah. That is, that there's been little changes. And that is, like, the way it goes. That's yeah. the way hegemony works. Yeah, it definitely is. Um, but it's, it's also the way that they're trying not to say that. That they're, like, they're not, they're saying, they're, they're trying to make out that they're not trying to change how everyone's thinking about a certain thing. But they, by definition, are, by yeah. the way that they structure the exhibits. But what what the, yeah, but not what even do, just what they're saying, but, but what they're actually saying. Well, like showing. what Oliver Dowden's saying, like, I'm um, saying, like, we shouldn't um, let a zeitgeist affect it mm. is they're saying instead of saying like um we need to reflect reflect the times because things have moved on so you know we we you know history does move on and our understanding of it changes and we should update with that and like maybe we shouldn't have as many statues of slave owners um he's saying that we should we're we're not changing anything we're compl- we're staying true if you know what i mean like we like any kind of deviation from adoring a churchill statue is a disgusting deviation. Isn't it like a thing that quite a number of the campaigns, local campaigns and mm. national campaigns, to uh, reassess the use of statues of controversial historical figures have said you could just put them into a museum. Mm. If you want to, you could mm. keep that statue, you could put it into a museum and put it into its historical context. It's Again, it's playing they into hate the... That. They hate the notion of the historical context. Of course, context because you don't want the historical context. Yeah. You want to be told that these people are great, mm. which provides a, continu- a, a continual line mm. of greatness through... thing. Because, I mean, they are triumphalists. They want that. Yeah. They are, of course, in their own way, just playing the game as it is played and seeking to engineer your affect and engineer your perceptions of things in the same way as anyone else does. I mean, mm. it's a culture war. Mm. Yeah. Um, and then he's, the, obviously, like we said earlier, with um, taking um, Laura Koonsberg, and you, they'll probably use her as an excuse to try and fuck about more with the BBC, like they have with the Bashir stuff, saying that, you know, obviously that needs more, BBC needs more oversight, it needs to have, <laughs> like, a review and a look at, you know, how these things are made. And, like, remember there was... Um, I've forgotten the name because I don't watch any of those satire comedy shows. But there was the Mash Report. They didn't like that um, because what they want, ideally, from the BBC, from its satirical comedy, is: Did you see that Jeff Norcott, the only Conservative comedian, there's only one. It's only one. It's just just, just, just him, just Jeff Norcott, no one else. But he's got a podcast and he was interviewing Matt Ford, and that's <laughs> literally what they want, though. Yeah, um, I think Matt Ford was like. Oh, it was a really lovely conversation. It's like because that's what they want. They want the two people who believe almost identical stuff, but one of them has an estuary accent. I've never, I've never like seen Jeff Norcott or uh, really want to at all. I've never no. had any desire because like there probably is funny conservative comedy, but not anything that would call itself conservative comedy. It mm. either is or it isn't. But no, they're they're the kind of people who have to name their stuff. Mm in order to try and grab an audience because the quality isn't good enough. But isn't comedy more about kind of appealing to a kind of... a rough consensus and the thing that you're satirising has to be so aberrant that you notice it immediately but then you're brought back down by the similarity to what it's actually portraying, Mm. right? Mm. So, spitting image, Mm. Thatcher didn't actually talk to Hitler Mm. but it's funny that... The, to to compare the two and to like, it's like Hitler giving her like Hitler on top of the number ten Downing Street and he's giving her advice on what words to use, hmm. 
right? And it's like, no, yeah, that is close enough because that was how people perceived her and that appealed to a certain amount of people who could see the authoritarianism and the kind of challenging of norms and portrayed it as in a situation that was aberrant rather than one that was accepted. That's how you turn, that's how you actually challenge an ideological view of things and prevent it from sinking beneath the surface where it becomes hegemony. Hmm. And it's like, that's what that is. Hmm. That's what satire is. You can't, you can't really have balance because if anything, if you have balance, you're admitting that the thing is contested. Hmm. You actually need to appeal to things like he's saying what we all think. Like that's that. There's a reason why that is. It's yeah. because you have to be able, in order for something to be popular enough, you have to be able to appeal to the idea that something is wrong. Yeah, and be able to recognise it. Yeah, yeah. He's um, he is an abject failure. <laughs> but, the, but that is literally that's yes, the kind of thing yeah. that they're pushing towards and that's why they're, they're, they're boring programs yeah they're te- it's terrible mm. it's so bad yeah um, but then like to show you like the other little things that he's doing that doesn't really get talked about because like that's the thing so much doesn't get talked about what's actually happening with what the government are doing um, because you know there's more important things to talk about that will just immediately push everything off the thing because the press only want to talk about their weird, their secret wedding that they had or something. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, but like, I think it was like last week or the week before. It might have been a like further ago. You know, time flat circle, whatever. Um, the BFI have have had a thing for the last three years called the Young Audience Content Fund, which is a thing to like money to go to British people to make TV shows for children. Yes, it's. A very small amount of money. I think I've got the amount of money here now. Um, Fifty-seven million pounds over three years. Yeah, which is a drop in the ocean. Yeah, for a TV um, program, it's it's not much, um, but it's good, and it means it's one of the things that's good about it is you don't need to have it's to like go into like development. So you know, to make a TV show takes a lot of work, mm-hmm. a lot of effort before you get to the point where a channel wants to give you money. So it's a it's a nice thing to give people who don't aren't a production company which already has lots of money. Like sure. say, shine the one that they call it, daughter. The, it, it. That's firmly in like nudge and neoliberal territory as well, because I think they call it priming the pump. It's like, hmm. well, they didn't have any CV or resume before this, but if you just push a little bit hmm. of money, then it's yeah, perfect. Yeah. New labor, blah blah. blah. Yeah, um, but that the final year that funding hacked a bit, hmm. which I, the only place I found that was talking about it was a thing called kid screen, um, which means forty less shows for children. Oh, so they um, slashed that fund, and then that, now there's forty less there's, shows. There will, that than there means, would have been. yeah, the development of forty things will just not happen now. And it's there's always been this move in like TV film production to only the rich people get to make their shows because they're the only ones with the money to develop them. Mm-hmm. They, there's no way that a conservative government, not this conservative government, wants any kind of government handouts to someone. You don't want people like Alan Bleasdale. You don't want people like um, Peter Flannery or oh, Willie no. Russell. No, no, no. You know, the like working class people yeah. um, who've got a different view. You want to make sure that the only people who are making these things are ones who were like footlights. Well, the thing is the that, that it's not even particularly that they want those people. It's that they literally only care about those people. Yeah. Those other people, if they make it, great. Mm. They won't though. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and it's just, it's interesting because it's just, it's like, it's such a little thing. Yeah, of just like just push this little thing away, and no one cares. But there, there, there are repercussions to that kind of stuff. The less quality children's television like gets made, the more it will be that algorithmic nightmare shit on YouTube, 
or oh God. or um, just American shows that don't have any of that Toy kind of BBC adherence yeah. to um, things like basic educational stuff. Yeah, no, no, no difference. I think is yeah. the main thing I feel about that kind of yeah. stuff. It's like, well, okay, you get a, you get like a popular character. It's an animal. Mm. You market a shitload of toys around it, mm. and you sh- keep putting it on until your kid is addicted to it. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know the way we were raised, <laughs> Transformers. <laughs> yeah, but um, yeah, I think it's it's just interesting, like the way that he'll say. Oh, you know, war on woke, and it, and like even like the liberals, like people at Jenza Brown will like, oh my god, this is so stupid. Um, but then not pay attention to, but they they are changing the boards of these things, mm. and they are cutting the funding to this thing here, but no one cares. Because they're making sure that those Dominic other Cummins that those other view, that those other viewpoints don't get through. Yeah. Those other kind of things get through unless they have already been vetted by rich white men. Yeah. Those 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 viewpoints will get through, but there will be a particular kind, and they will not affect anything. You like serious. as it carries on like this, you are never going to have someone like Alexi Sale go through the BBC. No. no, and that's the point. Yeah. So, at the same time as uh, the Israel Palestine conflict, the latest turn happened, and I'm sorry, all... I'm sorry. No, no, I watched Fox News this morning. Eve Fartlow said it was the Israel Hamas conflict. Sure, the Israel. We did that last time. Yep. <laughs> um, and, you know, you had all the traditional, predictable talk about anti-Semitism, anti-Zionism. Legacy Corbynism comes up, of course, blah, blah, blah. I haven't heard that one. Uh, well, yeah, of course it does. Oh, okay. It's like we'd have an anti-Semitic prime minister in there. Mm-hmm. Corbyn, what would have happened? Yeah. Anyway, um, you had the university's minister, Michelle Donnellan, who went on to Radio 4 to mm. talk about a particular bill mm-hmm. that was going to be going through this government Um, and the laws that would be resulting from this bill would be may extend to holocaust denial (laughs) just in the middle of this interview uh, about freedom of speech laws on to ban holocaust denial i imagine no oh no um to specifically enshrine it because holocaust denial in this country isn't specifically illegal it is illegal in like poland germany obviously uh Hungary, Russia, Germany, Austria, for some reason. Oh, yeah, that Some Holoc- reason or another. Holocaust denial um, being illegal in Hungary has really, really helped Hungary's Jews and helped them not have any anti Semitism. Hungary, a place famed for its not anti Semitism. She said, What this bill is designed to do is ensure that we protect free speech that mm-hmm. is lawful. Asked whether she accepted that Holocaust denial was lawful, she said, Yes. Adding, obviously it would depend on what they were saying, whether it strayed into racism, and whether it strayed into hate crimes. A lot of these things that we would be standing up for would be hugely offensive, would be hugely hurtful. (laughs) There's a difference between condoning and supporting something as opposed to standing up for free speech. Mm -hmm. Hmm. So this bill, Mm -hmm. called the Higher Education Brackets Freedom of Speech Bill, it's on its, uh, I think it's second reading. Mm-hmm. Um, some of the key points. Um, it says, The governing body of a registered higher education provider must take the steps to secure freedom of speech for staff, members, students, and visiting speakers. The objective includes securing that the use of any premises is not designed or the terms on which such premises are provided are not to any extent based on A... 
uh, an individual, their ideas, beliefs or views, or B, in relation to a body, its policy or objectives, or the ideas, beliefs or views of any of its members. So, essentially, if a uni has a conference, invites a call for papers, a call for speakers, anything like that, it can't turn anyone away? Like... Like anyone. And premises are not to any extent based on an individual's ideas or beliefs. That's why they're yeah. there. If you're having a conference on, I don't know, the history of Pepper, you yeah. invite people with stringent views on Pepper. <laughs> yeah. Like, I don't, you know, like... Um, and yeah, ideas, beliefs, or views, which is a really sophist way of mm. kind of approaching it. Like, what you have ideas and beliefs, and I have views. Mm. I have a view now. A view might change, but I have an idea, which is radical. But I have a belief, which you can't question. I don't know. Like, it's weird. It's presumably there just to try and put some like turf academic at ease because they got invited to like talk about the pay gap, and then yeah. they got yelled at because you know they wanted to start eliminating people. Yeah. Well, yeah. It'll be to, it'll, they're going to. They're going to enshrine Holocaust denial in law because they don't like the BDS movement and they want to make sure TERFs get to speak wherever they want. <laughs> and it's amazing that that's what they're going to achieve. It's, it's noticeable <laughs> that it's like ideas, beliefs or views, not ideology, and most importantly, yeah. not politics. Yeah. You know, because it's this completely value-neutral like marketplace of ideas where there's mm-hmm. everything, it's all there, but not some things. Mm-hmm. And like it's very weird. It's like they're opening objective, and it is tr- you can see from it. It's like trying to open certain things up and close certain things off. Mm-hmm. And it's like you can imagine them drafting it up based on literally the experience of one or two people. Yeah, you know, like the Institute for Workhouses came and got yelled at. Yeah, you know? and it's like kids making up rules based on like one specific instance of somebody being mean to them or like they had some disadvantage at a game it's like no no sorry new rules new rules you can't use your legs in goal anymore hmm. you can't be called daniel and play this game no sorry it's like what i, d- <laughs> I just don't understand it. yeah um An additional objective of the bill is to make sure universities are committed to quote securing the academic freedom of academic staff Academic freedom in this context is defined as uh, is defined as their freedom within the law and within their field of expertise, within their field hmm. of expertise. And I know why this is. Again, it's an old bugbear of conservatives that you can get, say, like a linguistics professor, mm-hmm. a particularly famous linguistics professor, mm-hmm. who can weigh in on politics, or you know, you can get a geography. Mm-hmm. Uh, lecturer to weigh in on politics mm-hmm. or you can get a chemistry teacher to weigh in on politics it's yeah. the same thing every time like disciplines within the university system is like weird anyway as mm. determined to if you're going to keep if you're going to de- define their freedom of speech by they can only speak freely within their own job title yeah it's really weird but how is that freedom of speech as well yeah it's well, some... how is that academic oh. freedom so david onasoga is an expert in one particular time of history mm. and he dares to weigh in on say the tearing down of a statue now how <laughs> dare he what would he know about bristol now can he talk about historical patterns of uh housing and how race has denied or you no, know, because he's not an that. expert in the last five years, housing. which is the only thing that matters. So let's go to Jeff Norcott. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, like things like 
Yeah, sure. Okay, I get that you base this on one particular mm. preference and one particular incident you heard about where the person wasn't ca wasn't actually cancelled, but just mm. like I don't know, had a letter written to them. <laughs> yeah, had a strongly worded letter saying that they were not very nice. But like, also, presumably, this means like like Nigel Bigar, the <laughs> uh, guy who tries to set up things about defending the British Empire. <laughs> He's a professor of theology, <laughs> not a professional professor of imperial history. So that means he can't talk, he's not, he, his academic freedom is not protected in that state. Was the British Empire Christian? <laughs> good one. Yeah. There's going to be a lot, I bet you there's going to be so much of that. It's going to be so good. It's going to be so good. They'll make these rules and then they'll twist them to their own end. Well, the interesting thing, of course, is that it's, it's a very weird thing the way that academia has kind of split because, I mean, you, you know, you use academia in quite a loose, loose sense, but like... Left-wing academics, everyone's got their like favourite left-wing mm. academic who is in a particular arena like, I don't know, architecture or history mm. or, you know, whatever. Um, but a lot of the kind of anti-woke academics, they seem to crawl out of the brickwork. So they've got one for every occasion. Mm -hmm. It's like, well, you can't talk about that because it's statistics. It's like, well, luckily we have the statistics woke guy here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, the academic freedom is defined as uh, freedom within the law and within their uh, field of expertise, and they put some objectives. To question and test received wisdom, uh, to put forward new ideas and controversial or unpopular opinions without placing themselves at risk of being adversely affected in any of the ways described below. Those ways are loss of their jobs or privileges at their provider and the likelihood of their securing promotion or different jobs at the provider being reduced or where a person applies to become a member of staff, they are not adversely affected in relation to the application because they have exercised their freedom within the law and within their field of expertise. How now, does that even work then for who you can hire? Also, what if it's a, like it's a, an English scholar that has got this new radical idea of dating his students? <laughs> That's dangerous and out there. Well, luckily that is actually included within the field of expertise of most English lecturers. So <laughs> it's a job description. <laughs> That's it's happened so many years. times, yeah. <laughs> it, well, at first it was custom, and then like in 2007 they had to actually put it in. <laughs> I mean, yeah, it's, there's so many fucking problems with this. This is, this is, by the way, I'm not, this isn't a report. I'd just mm. like to re-emphasize. Mm. This is not a report. This is mm. not a white paper. Mm. This is not like a think tank thing. Mm. This is an actual mm -hmm. bill to turn into actual law. Mm-hmm. And there are so many problems with it. Like, okay, to test received wisdom. Received wisdom is a loaded term. How do, What do you think happens in... But you can't start throwing stuff out, stuff out like our history, because of the current zeitgeist. <laughs> so how are you supposed to not do that without... Ah! Received wisdom hmm. is what all research is there to test. They mean racism. They do. Like, okay, what's a controversial opinion? Like, there's not really that many controversial opinions in academia, but mm. some of them get, you know, headlines. They mean racism. Yeah. Unpopular opinions. How do you measure the popularity of something that, frankly, most people are not going to have heard of? It's racism. <laughs> and, like, how do... Also, like, if somebody didn't secure promotion that they got because they simply weren't good enough, mm. how do you measure that? They're promoting racists. <laughs> like, it's fucking... Sometimes life is very complex mm -hmm. politics is very complex that's mm -hmm. what i like about it i like really like getting into something and like that but like literally everything in this law is simply designed to reduce the opposition to racism so the british government can become popular for deporting people yeah it's it's horrendous when you actually think about it like david good you've got like a whole 
industry. David Goodhart, fucking Douglas Murray, Matthew Goodwin, cancel culture, woke culture, mm-hmm. all the like the statues, traditional architecture, importance of Shakespeare, blue labour. That's it. Mm. They literally, all of it, is designed to reduce the resistance to the British state being able to deport people. Mm. For no real reason either. Yeah. Not actually, there's no actual like reasoning behind it. They've long lost the reasoning behind it. Well, you it. saw the um, um, Tim Weatherspoon was in the news because he wants there to be increased immigration from the EU for, to staff his pubs. Of course he does, but he wants there to be increased uh, immigration, but he does also want to deport more people. Because mm-hmm. that's, the, that's the thing now. That's all you really need to add to your politics in order to be considered a certain kind of person or mm. political figure or public figure. Mm. Oh, he's a conservative. Why? Because he wants to deport more people. He's a reactionary. He wants to deport more people. Mm. He's a liberal, but not your traditional kind of liberal. He just wants to deport more people. <laughs> oh, I'm a social conservative. You want to deport more people. <laughs> I, it, it genuinely, genuinely, I believe that it, it, it bounces down to that. Yeah. And whether you think it's deporting people because like you'll get more popular or because it'll ease social cohesion ripping people from their homes and having vans patrolling everywhere like it's it's genuinely like it's pathetic really that it comes down to all that and you know they've been flirting with it for 20 years 40 Mm. years Mm. 60 years 70 years but especially in the last 30 years you know it was always that thing of like you you could see a whole generation of politicians just desperately trying to use it but not use it too much and then eventually getting dragged deeper and deeper in and that's how we that's how we are now it's literally all it is yeah yeah, 100%. <laughs> it's probably been for, going on for as long as the border went up as a concept and the idea of kicking people, like passports became a genuine thing. I mean, we're talking kind of, I mean, we're basically talking the 40s and 50s. Hmm. Not many people want to actually admit that, but you didn't actually need passports for a long, long time. You yeah. had um, particular Commonwealth passports that allowed you to uh, come in just after the 40s, but... Hmm. Yeah, you. There was no border between like India and Britain. It was mm. just you didn't necessarily have the means to 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 get, to get there, and you wouldn't want to go there anyway. Mm. Um, yeah. Also, yeah, you're not allowed to sack staff for opinions now, which is which is cool. What if I, my opinion is I would like to have sex with my sexy young staff, my sexy young students? They're always so sexy. How can I not? It's my opinion. <laughs> it's my belief, it's... idea, or view. Yes. <laughs> oh God. It's also interesting that that comes up at a time that you can't sack someone up for their opinion, but you can sack them due to large, long-term structural changes in the university sector that makes them entirely uneconomic. Yeah. You know, like they just sacked the entire manage- uh, like Department of Management or something at University of Leicester, which looks like it's going to be in real financial trouble mm. um, pretty soon. And yeah, you can just sack people for that. There's no, there's no, there's no, there's no well, that's fine. thing for that. You know, they didn't have an opinion. Fine. Oh, thank God. You could have been into real trouble then. Um, this bill also expands the cause of free speech into uh, the crusade for free speech into student unions. Mm-hmm. Because that's the other one. Uh, but they're already right wing messes. <laughs> Quote, that's where West Streeting was born. How dare you describe West Streeting? Just because he wants to deport a load of people, <laughs> call him right wing. Meetings which are to be held. Sorry. Quote, meetings which are to be held on the provider's premises and which fall within any class of meetings specified in the code, any other activities which are to take place on those premises, the conduct required of persons in connection with any such meeting or activity and the criteria to be used 
by the provider in making decisions about whether to allow the use of premises and on what terms. Um, and that's what it is, like, you know, that it's not to be denied to anybody based on or given to them because of their ideas, belief, yada, 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 exactly the same as the, the past section. Um, there's also stuff about affiliation to the student unions. Mm-hmm. Um, affiliation to the student unions, not denied to any student or society in relation to an individual, their ideas, beliefs, or views, etc., etc. And that stuff, that's, this is proper, like, no, we're going to embed ourselves. You will yeah. be friends with us. We will, consider, <laughs> we will be part we- of whatever social circle we want to that is around you. Yeah. You don't have a choice to isolate yourselves away. Well, it's like the, um, with them wanting to be at the Miners Gala. 100%, percent yes. But like we talked about, I don't know if we talked about it on the pod, but yeah, so much of what... And we did briefly, yeah. ...of what this stuff is all about is the fact that they don't get invited to parties and they want to be invited to the party. They want to have a friend and just because they want to deport people, you shouldn't say that's me. It's kind of funny because like for years they've been on the the NUS is too political. Hmm. They need to take politics out of it. And hmm. now it's like that's why they use that ideas, views and beliefs because yeah. it's like you can't refuse that. That's not a politics. That's hmm. not something that can be debated or reasoned. It's hmm. a thing. Do you remember the fucking Tom Harwood star of stage and screen? He first like came to my attention because he was running for yeah. the US president. And yeah, he with was his, with his like silliness campaign yeah he was saying that the NUS was too political and it needed to bring the fun back mm. fucking loser what fucking a... desperate desperate loser he really what a is. fucking scumbag and goes straight into like the usual Guido mm-hmm. son and he's on GB News now I guess right when, I think he... when's GB News starting it's not up yet is it? uh, it's not up but inside gossip they have got a an advertising destination oh in my job uh, there you go yeah Fantastic. Um, they have got, yeah, they've got an advertising portal and a portal for content. So they are existing and mm. it's going to be sometime in June, I think. Ugh. Not talking about it. Not talking about no, it. No, we won't talk about it on the show. Disclaimer. No, I'm not doing it. No, no. Don't, you can't make me. No, no. None of us, no, none of you, none of you content hungry fiends. <laughs> none of you shit, shit posters. No, you the can't is, force me to, you can't force me to look at it. The thing is, you can't force and I'm, me not gonna, to I'm not going to judge any, anyone else for doing a lot of content I based am. on it. But it does feel like it will be kind of like shooting fish in a barrel and that they got the fish into the barrel for you and then just put it on your TV. And then suddenly the fish are, fish are ruling you like yes. a set of dolphin kings. <laughs> um, so these uh, free speech measures, of course, will come with some level of punishment. <laughs> punishment! Good, because, you know, the, you know, if there's anything you know about the, the British state is that they like to use carrot and stick in that they like to use the carrot to strengthen their stick arm. <laughs> um... People who feel they're people who feel they've been uh, discriminated against under this code will be able to bring civil proceedings against mm-hmm. either the university, the higher education provider. And this is vague enough that literally anyone union. could ever feel affronted. That's not the only recourse they'll have. The Office for Students will also have a role. Mm-hmm. Um, they will be monitoring and able to impose a fine, and they will be setting up a scheme where the Office for Students is required to hold reviews of free speech and able to investigate claims that a person has suffered, suffered adverse consequences as a result of action or inaction of the governing body of a university. The scheme requires the OFS to make a decision as to the extent to which a free speech complaint is justified Hmm. and as soon as reasonably practicable. But the scheme may also allow the OFS to dismiss a free speech complaint without consideration of the merits if the OFS considers the complaint 
to be frivolous or vexatious. If they're left wing. <laughs> you don't say. <laughs> if they're, say, a Palestinian speaker. <laughs> I presume, yeah. Yeah. It just, everything about it, as you said, allows the maximum amount of flexibility. Mm. You know, student unions and unis can be in trouble if they do some things, but also if they don't do other some other things. Mm. And that will be decided by a combination of the government, presumably the Home Secretary, mm. and the Office for Students. You know? Is there a limit on how much the fine is? Uh, it doesn't say. They're, that's for them to decide later on. Um, like, it's not exactly let a thousand of blossoms bloom stuff, is it? No. <laughs> it's, like, it's so weird. It's just... Like, all you're going to do, if, if you're going to make it so hard for unis to hold events on a campus or student unions to yeah. um, be able to do that kind of stuff they're just not going to do it Yeah. like if anything like I don't think it's a good like legal way of promoting free, freedom of speech which, like I don't think there are many good ways legal no. ways of promoting freedom of speech especially when you're going to curb and define it in such specific ways Yeah. and like basically that's going to kind of Although it's designed to kind of get what they would term as minority speakers, they mean conservative speakers, they mean racist speakers, they mean eugenic speakers, they mean turf speakers, mm -hmm. into universities where presumably they can influence a lot more. Um, it's not exactly like... It's like the only place left where you can have a critical mass of people where you get to hear those ideas. Mm. And it's specifically targeted as getting, at getting those people. There is no public square anymore. They, they, yeah. Or, I mean, there is a public square. They get all of it. Yeah. They already have all of it. Um, all it's going to do is make unis more averse to like that kind of mm. that kind of risk. They're marketized. They have money now. They yeah. want to keep that money. They don't want to get sued. And you know, I imagine the forces promoting this bill are actually perfectly happy with you know not having those kind of events at all, even yeah. if they don't get invited. Yeah. Which they'd, they'd rather the party didn't exist than, yeah. than it exists with them not there. Yeah. Another interesting facet to this is at the same time. They're promoting something, uh, it's still in draft form, but something called the Online Safety Bill, right? Okay. Essentially, this is for online. Mm -hmm. Ofcom uh, will be given powers to regulate online, all of online. <laughs> all of online? And will be, yeah. All, all, the, con it. all the content. Uh, content on peer-to-peer -peer platforms um, like uh, Facebook and Twitter and all that kind of stuff. And they will be able to fine the companies themselves up to £18 million or 10% of their annual global turnover, whichever is higher... Um, and block sites if they fail to take down oh. harmful content. Okay. Fail to take so down. They can send, they'll set a fine and the companies will pay with, I imagine, the same gusto that um, diplomatic embassies use for paying the congestion charge, which is they don't pay it. <laughs> um, so they'll just do that and then they'll just block specific sites that they don't like, essentially. They will be able to gin up a controversy about everything saying that it's against the law. So you don't because, like the, the firewall in China? Yeah. The in, well, I mean, that is where that's going towards because the interesting thing about this bill is not... Like, it has measures against illegal content. You know, that's... Yeah, but illegal content is already illegal. Yeah, that's what I mean. <laughs> yeah. What it actually includes is harmful content. Is that calling e-fart, though, e-fart, though? Harmful... Ah, well, okay, test case. Harmful content is described in this bill if the provider of the service has reasonable grounds to believe that the nature of the content is such that there is a material risk of the content having or indirectly having a significant adverse physical or psychological impact on an adult of ordinary sensibilities. 
Define now. order and sensibility. Ah, now. So I actually do. <laughs> I actually do know like a reasonable amount about advertising regulation okay. in the UK, right? And that a person of ordinary sensibilities or the average reasonable person is a term that gets thrown around. But usually, it's it's usually framed. Advertising regulation is usually framed in terms of how a a reasonable adult would understand it, right? Um, and usually, it's uh, how they might. Uh, there's usually like a vaguely defined consensus based largely on the idea of that, like, the person watching being an informed consumer or a consumer that needs informing, right? Mm -hmm. People in possession of facts about a thing free of outright lies or a threat or something like that um, is more of a positive thing. It's how somebody would approach this thing. Mm -hmm. They're actively engaging with it. This is way more passive. Like, it's how the content might impact upon someone of ordinary Mm -hmm. sensibilities. Rather than how a person would understand it, which involves research, evidence, yeah. logical reasoning, frankly, this de-emphasizes the adult of ordinary sensibilities bit and actually puts the focus on um, the provider having reasonable grounds to believe bit mm. of it, the material risk of the content bit. Um, who gets to define that risk? You know, that's even before you get into the yeah. you know defining uh, an adult of ordinary sensibilities. Yeah, and of course it will be the Home Secretary for a start, but yeah. Ofcom. Yeah. And, you know, by the way, completely unrelated news, um, they have actually restarted the hunt for a new Ofcom head uh, because Paul Dacre got rejected by the current interview committee. So they're restarting it, appointing a new interview committee, and uh, they're going to try and get Paul Dacre. Are, they, are the in interview there. committee all from the Red Wall? <laughs> Apparently, allegedly, uh, Facebook and Google have been lobbying against him. They don't want him as head of Ofcom. Well, he's horrible. Yeah. <laughs> like, even for them. <laughs> um, there's also a... a <laughs> There's also a clause in there that says if the provider of the service has reasonable grounds to believe that content's dissemination would have a significant adverse physical or psychological impact, taking into account how many users may be assumed to encounter the content and how easily, quickly and widely content may be disseminated. So this is basically to counter the greatest threat that anyone in the West has really come across, which is the pile-on. The pile-on in your replies, in your mentions. Every year we use hun- lose hundreds of the best phrenologists to the pile on, and it's it's got to stop. It really has. There's so many aspiring journalists and um, random people who desperately want to be a Labour councillor who have a bad weekend because of the pile on, <laughs> and we need to stop that having to read weekend. all those notifications. Yeah, and you just, just you, you don't want to think of it. You never think it's going to happen to you. No. There are protections written into this bill Mm. for content of democratic and journalistic importance. Uh So all of this stuff we mentioned previously is that going on? Is that going on boats to um, across the across the channel to like shout at people who are drowning? Well, because that isn't like that. That upset me, but that it's important that I see that because a journalist is doing it. Otherwise, harmful content will be allowed if. It is news publisher content, and the content is, or appears to be, specifically (laughs) intended to contribute to democratic political debate in the United Kingdom, Hmm. or any area of the United Kingdom. The important point here is it's called democratic political content, not just political. Because ruling class ideology does not Hmm. work by assuming that everything is political. The things they want are political, the things that they don't are just common sense. Hmm. And they, the Tories seem to have this thing about democratic meaning, like whatever the most amount of people or the media or the government would like to think is the most amount of people think. <laughs> Which is fucking impossible, but of course it's just a MacGuffin that they get to define. Yeah. 
Um, what's what's non-democratic political debate? Presumably, it's the economy. It means the economic shape of the UK. Yeah. It means the economy. It means trade unions. It means striking. It means all of that. Yeah. Um, and racism. <laughs> We're gonna have the death penalty by twenty twenty five, aren't we? Journalistic content will also be protected. Okay. Uh, it will, if the content generated is for the purposes of journalism and the content is UK linked, again, if you pay attention to the wording, it says journalism and hmm. UK linked, not journalism or UK linked. They define UK linked as if United Kingdom users of the service form one of the target markets for the content, or the only target market, or the content is or is likely to be of interest to a significant number of United hmm. Kingdom users. Again, the notion that sites generate most of their content from users' wide and free-ranging interests. Have you seen fucking Facebook? Mm. Um, and that they're using this particular term to define what constitutes protected speech. Mm. So it's essentially, it's democratic and UK-linked, like, and you're looking into it. How do you know if something is of interest to you until you know about it? Yeah. And why is it only important if... A significant number of other people find yeah. it interesting. You know? Like the ideal object of this bill is fucking hideous. So like mm. it shouldn't it's harmful if it falls upon an adult of ordinary sensibilities as defined by a Westminster politician's idea of what that person is, who never learns anything they don't already know, and is kept sheltered from knowledge that someone assumes other people won't want to know. <laughs> And I'm like, I'm talk again, I'm talking like there isn't a fucking simple answer to this, that these <laughs> laws are essentially designed for one guy. Yeah. Um, and I don't know who that guy is. You know, it could be a fascist who wants to get published in the Times, or it could be an ultra-nationalist who wants to get published in the Times. <laughs> it's quite possible that with the two of these bills combined, you would have something that you would be able to sue someone mm. over not being allowed a platform to say, but be open to prosecution for typing it. It's so at odds with each other. Like, where are you more likely to be wading, like waving your free speech dick around? Yeah. Is it going to be online or is it going to be at a meeting at a university? Yeah. You know what I mean? And again, like, free speech isn't one of those things that if you were really concerned about it would be wholly constituted of legal protections curbing mm. and defining the literal geographical boundaries yeah. of where you are allowed to exercise that right. You know, it would be encouragement, looser social conventions around things, more public space. It would be material mm. things to allow people to be able to do that. And of course, like legal protections help, we're always kind of, I've always figured into the free speech debate because they're, they're designed to kind of protect you from an overbearing state. Mm. But this at the moment seems to be freeing you up from an institution that receives state funding hmm. while at the same time restricting you on a platform that you get for free it is baffling it's and it well it's not baffling because it's, it's obvious why and it's like yeah i mean you know obviously people will lap it up there is nothing nothing so respected in britain as an authoritarian law but like <laughs> i just i don't know it's so all both of these bills are so like they're all everything's so clumsy it's so hmm. contradictory and it's like why are they doing it? What did they see the UK looking like when they bring these these bills in? Hmm. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And like, I do get the idea that Boris's Tories are kind of eager to be seen as 
doing the things that people have bitched about for years, like all of that kind of built up grievance, that tabloid grievance mm. that has been building up in this country for 40 years and never being resolved. Mm. They have this idea that they're going to be the ones who do it. So they're finally going to, you know, reverse privatisation. They're not going to, but mm -hmm. they're finally going to be the ones to tackle the trains. They're finally going to do the NHS. And of course, clamping down on those fucking students. Yeah. I think obviously there's a tactical advantage for them in it. Um, the culture, if not you know, the structure of university institutions, was definitely something that they never quite captured in the Thatcherite phase. Mm. You know, um, the Tories of the early nineties and even of up to probably two thousand and up to now, really, were just mercilessly lampooned. It's really the only blows you can land. Yeah, is on a Tory's personal character mm. and the way that they conduct themselves. <laughs> And it's easy to look back now and say, yeah, oh, yeah, spitting image, it never really did anything. And, you know, I think thinking that that's the only thing that's needed to defeat Tories is probably, has probably gotten us into more trouble than yeah. has gotten us out of trouble. But I think, like, the influence of culture in politics is not often, it's not often appreciated in terms of getting people to do things, but just getting people to think about hmm. certain political movements in a certain way. Like, everyone fucking forgets when they're talking about anti-Tory comedy, that the comedy of like the late, definitely the late seventies and early eighties, completely demonised like left left wingers and trade unionists. Yeah. You know, you think of like um, Citizen Smith hmm. or People's Front of Judea, yeah. or even fucking um, what's that? The racist sitcom Love Thy Neighbour. Hmm. In Love Thy Neighbour, the white guy was a committed trade unionist and socialist, and the black guy was a conservative. Hmm. That has yeah. an ideological effect. Consider it was on in like 1975 or something. Yeah. That has an ideological content, and it worked in opposition to the way that we think of as anti-Thatcherite comedy coming out and forming, largely forming the way that New Labour thought about culture as well. Because yeah. there was this large, there was this feeling that they didn't want to be seen as fuddy duddies. They didn't mm. want to be seen as cult in cultural terms as the same as the Tories, even though they were largely the same kind of people. They were largely drawn from the same class. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that sense of like isolating and identifying specifics of Toryism definitely like conditioned you to think of Tories in uh, as we were saying earlier about comedy it conditioned you to think of Tories in terms of a deviance of their deviation from a norm that you all held that you felt mm. other people held it's like an appeal to the, this vague consensus right yeah and of course like that had an effect on public Tories and it had an effect on like the shape of politics and I think like what happened in universities in the 2000s and like 2010s, that in itself, I know it's a different thing from comedy, but like mm. that cultural anti-Toryism was present at the birth of Corbynism. Yeah. It, it largely caused Corbynism. It's, there's still so many fucking arguments on what makes a Tory, what is a Tory, mm. what products do you have to buy to be a Tory. Mm. Um, and, you know... I could see the Tories wanting to make sure that at least a reasonable proportion of the university-educated chard is not instinctively anti-Tory. Yeah. It would be very important for them to write themselves into the reality of every branch of existence in this country. And to if they, even if they're not a given, that they, are, they have a hearing, mm. even in places where they have no right to be. Yeah. You know? They, the very note... It's, a lot of it, it does come down to they don't like being told they can't go to a place. And not only not go to the place, but they need to go there and be celebrated. Yeah. They need to, well, at least not be criticised. 
Yeah, I mean, that, that is also how you forge an ideology. That's how yeah. you forge a hegemony. You force everyone into a new reality, like Thatcher did. Suddenly, nobody was talking about fairness in the workplace. Everyone mm. was terming things in terms of profit and loss. And, and those words, the way those words go into it, are kind of important because they, you force them in, you keep using them, and then suddenly they disappear from view because they become assumptions. Yeah. Um, this current wave of like Tory success is very strange because I don't think even they realise quite what they've got. It's why they sound so at odds. Because they've got this huge red wall of support, right? Mm. And that's presumably who they're doing this thing for. It's like we're getting rid of liberal forms of media, of culture, of communication. Yeah. Um, we are ending a particular kind of gravy train and we're going to empower a particular kind of like working class Toryism, ordinary Toryism, mm. right? And, you know, you can see them trying to appeal to the the things, the tabloid grievances that have been working their way through certainly media. Maybe it's been working its way through people as well, but it's definitely been reflected in large swathes of media that this weird kind of like exuberant grievance the idea that these things peaceniks equality legislation were the things that were keeping them from being happy mm. you know after political correctness gone mad which is sort of an irritation you have corbynism which comes up but it also comes up alongside a lot of other things like trans rights and blm and stuff like that and these gendered racialized threats were suddenly now imminent they weren't just mm. irritating like they were taking your bins they were imminent in that they were going to take your kids. Yeah. And so now, you know, it caught, sort of tied Toryism to them in a way of, well, they're not necessarily going to abolish this stuff, but they are anti it, and therefore, and I'm anti it, and therefore that's what I'm going to be, therefore I'm a Tory. And that's not actually that much to base a kind of political ideology on. No. That is a very specious link. They have a specious mm. link to the Red Wall. Mm. I don't think they quite know what to do with it. Because I 100% believe they did not think they were going to get the kind of numbers oh, no. in the 2019 election that they actually got. No, they didn't think that. I think that, like there's a big chunk of it which is to do with... There's a certain kind of right-wing man that is terrified, or woman, is terrified of their kids going off to university... And then coming back and hating them. Yes. Because they've just been told to hate them by their communist professor. Yeah. And that's the point of this. Yeah. It's to reassure them that it's okay. While your kids are away, we're not going to let them trans them. I, the thing is, I'm not... I mean, obviously they have those kind of oppositions to certain popular movements. They have opposi a, a knee-jerk opposition to resistance from below. Mm. But like... I'm not I just don't know how much they're leading it or they're following it. Mm. I think that these are attempts to kind of wrangle it into into a kind of coherence in a way that it's a it's a a silent majority thing. It's there's nothing really different about the way that the red wall exists mm. other than it's silent it's just the current version of the silent majority. Yeah. The silent majority is silent because they don't speak and they don't tell you what they want. Mm. Cuz if they didn't they wouldn't be the silent majority anymore. But I think it's even more like amorphous and it's a much larger and looser group for whatever mm. actual coherence it has and the idea that they're going to start framing and writing media policy in law just seems an odd gamble because mm -hmm. like with something as potentially destabilizing as as proper cultural stuff that you know we joke about it but it can get people killed mm -hmm. it can lead to large-scale civil disobedience on either end mm -hmm. and you know 
they're, they're like any other government. They've been conditioned by parliamentarianism to prize a certain level of stability. Mm. And I guess the more important thing is that, like, if they resolve these issues, if they finally settle them for once and, they're all, once and for all, they can't use them again. Mm. Yeah, dealing with the Red Wall in this way, it, again, tr- treads a fine line that they started with um, Brexit. And it's that bit between, like, danger and safety. The reactionary position that the right have found themselves in treads this line between danger and safety. The underlying cultural position is that liberal left politics is safe, predictable and known. Tolerance is like so inbred that it has inverted and become exclusionary. Mm. Whereas right-wing politics, it's dangerous, it's wild, it's unpredictable and it has vitality mm. and therefore is accepting of outsiders and is more tolerant, right? Mm. It's not an intellectual position as much as it is an aesthetic one, but you know you recognise it whenever spiked right. But at the same time, when it comes to electoral politics, when it comes to material politics, the reverse is true. Liberal left politics is a wild stab in the dark. We don't know what it will produce that might kill everybody. Whereas Tories, safe, known. Yeah. They're, you know, the idea, and yeah, the idea that the Red Wall is crying out for both safety and stability, which has been a part of rhetoric. Hmm. and also mavericks who make their own rules and just do everything on their own is a risky gamble. Like, the idea that this is going to get more social conservatives into culture, is that is the Red Wall begging for a return of social conservatism beyond mm. having a grump at people on TV or in universities? No. I think they might be in for well, a shock. Was, yeah, there was, there was a YouGov poll not long ago which said that, you, which unsurprisingly show that the views are pretty much identical as like everywhere else in the country. Yeah. I'd like the only difference is a lot of these Red Bull places are older. They're older, but also they have personal experience of the things that maybe you wouldn't have taken for granted like 20, 30 years ago, up to and including like divorce. Hmm. That they've experienced these things. Hmm. They've experienced living next like having someone black at work. Hmm. Or they've experienced someone in their family coming out as gay or hmm. trans or something. And that material experience that that i'm not going to say lived experience that material experience conditions you way more in conjunction with the general culture it's not that the general culture is going to turn you one way or the other yeah. it's that it, it, it it's a slow process of like acceptability i guess and social acceptability mm. um and you know not saying that the gains in the areas of lgbt rights or anti-racism are like are irreversible or inevitable or also not the result of really hard work of activists and yeah. throughout the decades but it was also the yeah the result of, of real experiences and I just my point is does ensuring the platform of social conservative speakers means that social conservatism wins I I genuinely don't know that like does making people able to be patriotic or express patriotism what does that actually mean mm. you're proud to be English or British but that's not utilizable for anything they're not going to join the army mm. or if they are forced to join the army they are going to be incredibly upset. <laughs> they might like other people being seen to join the army, mm-hmm. but they will not like it when their kids are forced to join the army. Mm-hmm. These kind of things. Like, other than, you know, what we mentioned before, which making it easier to deport, what concrete effects does it actually have? Like, yeah, sure, you're managing the dopamine levels of an entire nation. <laughs> pretty fucking useful. But when it's running up against, you know, the power of, I don't know, commercial advertising, which seems to have you know, embraced a certain level of social movementism, which is degraded, sure, uh, partial, (laughs) but it exists. Mm. 
and there is a lot of it about. Um, and I just think like this culture stuff is definitely a, an area where you could see classic Tory overreach. Yeah. You know? I could just see, like, okay, say, I never went to uni, but say I am, I am in my student union hmm. and I am not allowed to, say, do the my communist speeches that I would like to do <laughs> um, because they're not allowed there. And if I do, I've also got to deal with the fact that, um, that Simon Heffer wants to speak there once a week um, to yeah. shout at me and hit on my friends. He wants to speak over you. Yeah, and hit on my friends. Um, Ooh, Mr. Heffer. <laughs> um, well, I just won't do it at the union. I'll just go down the pub. Yeah. Where you all get chucked out because it's private premises. <laughs> but you know what I mean? They'll yeah. go somewhere else. Open mic nights. They'll go somewhere Open else. Open mic nights everywhere. Telegram. <laughs> Telegram, yeah. Well, yeah. Like the, the, like the online stuff is to have a go at people being mean on Twitter. Yeah. So fine, fuck it. I'll just post all my mean stuff on Telegram. <laughs> on my far right groups. I need to prune some of these because I was looking, I was like, I joined a load to, to like, for research, but I get updates on some of these fucking horrid far right, like, Atawaf and shit. <laughs> Which, you know, isn't just a bit horrid. Look, take that shit to the university where it belongs. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> That's us for this week. You can subscribe to us on iTunes. Follow us at WDTATW underscore podcast. Follow me at BM Bergamo. Follow Hugh at Tanner Smashing. And we'll see you soon. Bye. Bye. Fighting am the least about the fight.